0: You're listening to the Ayn Rand Institute Live podcast series. The following is a recording of the Ayn Rand Institute's Philosophy for Living on Earth webinar series. Sign up to attend the next webinar live
1: at bit.ly forward slash ari webinars.
0: Does success in life require compromise? By Alan journal
1: Welcome to Philosophy for Living on Earth coming to you live from the Ayn Rand Institute. This is a weekly webinar series exploring life's big questions and the answers to those questions coming from the ideas of Ayn Rand. I'm Elon Jerno, and I'm your host this week. Our big question for today is, does success in life require compromise? So the format for these sessions is that I'll give a presentation for about 15 or 20 minutes and then we'll open it up for a Q&A and discussion. Really want to hear your questions and feedback. Uh, With me today is my colleague, Keith Lockich, who will be moderating the Q&A and he'll be joining in as well. By the end of today's webinar, you should come away with a greater clarity on the role of compromise in your quest to build a successful life. So I think we can all agree that compromise or situations that call on us to compromise come up all the time in every area of life. We engage with people and we want one thing, they want another thing, and we don't always see eye to eye, so we have to figure out how to navigate those kinds of situations. And many people think, and I I think with with good reason, that compromise is often a good thing or or it's really important. Uh, The world goes around and you need compromise to fuel it. Without it, nothing can get done. One expression that you hear is, to get along, you need to go along. And here on the screen, I've I've just captured a couple of headlines that uh, convey this view. There are a lot of articles on the web you can find suggesting how important compromise really is in life. It's a virtue, it's a guiding principle of social life, and uh, there, there are tips on how to improve your personal relationships by becoming better at compromise uh, why it's, it's so crucial. Now, I think up to this point, most of you probably are nodding and saying, yeah, we, we get that. No, no one's going to push against that. But then when you think on it for a little while, people start getting uneasy because it's not clear that every compromise is a good compromise or is a good thing to do and people then start reeling it back and and saying, well, okay, well, compromise is a good thing. It's a virtue. It's important in personal relationships and work and politics. We get that. But then there are lots of cases where it doesn't seem like it makes total sense to compromise. And you, you, get people saying, well, hold on a second. You should never compromise there. There's things, or just as a principle in life, you should not compromise. Now, this puts people in, I think, an understandable quandary because it's on the one hand there are lots of cases where it makes sense to compromise, and other cases where it doesn't. So if you ask people when or how should you figure this out, well, it's it sometimes it's good, sometimes it's not, uh, or or the answer is it it depends. Well, w- w- there's lots of qualifications, and just to underline this issue, it, it, part of what makes it complicated and and uh, Difficult is probably a lot of you have experienced situations where you've, you've compromised on some issue, but later you, you think back on it and, and maybe it's in a personal relationship and you think, well, that really didn't go the way I thought it would. I'm not happy with the results. And more than that, I just, I don't feel I was true to myself in an important deep way. And it, it, it you could see negative, negative rea- uh, effects of that. And notice as well that as much as people talk about compromises, this virtue, that, you, that there's always situations where you should compromise. Notice that the word also has really negative connotations in certain usages. So if, if people say, oh, he compromised himself, they don't mean he did the right thing in kind of finding common ground with someone. They mean he did something really bad. Or if you think you're going to fly uh, to visit your family, and you say, do you want to get on a plane that has a compromised inspection history or its maintenance has been compromised in some way. So we, we get that there are crucial ways in which compromise means a bad thing. And so we're, let's, let's try to unpack that a little bit. So when should you compromise or when shouldn't you compromise? And I indicated earlier that a lot of people's attitude is, well, it depends. Sometimes yes, sometimes no. So let's, that, that really doesn't answer the question because an it depends is just a gate and you need to walk through it. And figure out well what's the next question how do you know Uh, so the 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 question i want to push on is well how can you know when you should compromise what what does it depend on what is it what do you need to know in order to kind of navigate this kind of situation when should you give in and when should you stand your ground that's what i want to sort of focus on in the next few minutes and to do that uh, and explore this issue, I, I'm drawing on an article that Ayn Rand wrote called, Doesn't Life Require Compromise? And I'm putting on the screen a, a, a link to uh, it on our website. You can go read it for free right after this webinar. Don't leave right now. Go go do it later. And I really encourage you to go and read it. It's not that long, but it's, it's really rich in philosophical insight. And what I'm going to suggest, building on some of the points in her article, is that if we take her analysis of compromise really seriously and, and kind of rethink it through, it helps us distinguish between the compromises that are good that lead to win-win outcomes and, and positive relationships and versus compromises or, or, or situations where it doesn't lead to that. It's really bad outcomes. Well, let's start with just uh, what's a di- standard dictionary definition of compromise. And I looked this up the other day, and this is what I found. It, it's, "Quote an agreement or a settlement of a dispute reached by each side making concessions." So you're resolving some issue by each side giving some ground. Okay, th- that's just a description. It doesn't really guide you. It just tells you what you're, we're talking about. But notice it—it—it it, doesn't—it um, includes both kinds of situations, both the, the kind of compromises where people think, "Yeah, this was a good a situ- good outcome," and the ones where people. Resolve the disagreement, each side giving ground, but it turned out badly. So it includes both the good and the bad kind of things that we have in mind. So this is where I think Ayn Rand's insights on compromise really help. Uh, And I'm putting here uh, one of the uh, formulations she has in that article. She says, quote, it is only in regard to concretes or particulars implementing a mutually accepted basic principle that one may compromise. So what I really want to get from this is that the crucial element I want to draw out is that there has to be a mutually agreed principle or shared value context. If I I can formulate it slightly differently in my own words, there has to be some common ground that is uh, meaningful and um, substantive. So it has to be shared value context or principle. Okay, let's just walk through a couple of simple examples and, and flesh this out. So you and a friend uh, have been wanting to get together for coffee for a long time. And you both have very busy schedules, and you're trying to coordinate, there's a lot of texts going back and forth, can you make it Monday, can you make it Tuesday, Um, what time? And what you end up with is, you can meet on Saturday morning, but there's a very small window. And she has a commitment in the afternoon, she has to drive off somewhere, and there's a very short window of time and you have stuff right before that so you know you want to meet close to 11 that works for you and she needs to meet close to 12 okay well so you have a you can't both you can't have both of those times and you really want to meet so what do you do well it turns out that 11:30 somewhere in the middle actually works and it's a win-win outcome so you both comp- so in a sense you're compromising on the time you want to meet you're not getting the exact time you want but you're getting something that is works for both of you now and i'm sure this happens all the time i mean when i'm work when i'm scheduling meetings there's always a back and forth and you kind of find something that's mutually agreeable but notice just take a step back from this situation and say what is the common ground here what is what's understood what's the basic value context that's shared i think it's fairly straightforward and it's usually unstated but let's just make it explicit it's that you and your friend each respect each other's time and you value each other and you recognize that you have other commitments beyond this this coffee meet and that you, you're you not going to uh, um, violate those and, and expect one person to completely throw their schedule into disarray and um, do something that is really um, not going to work for them. So it's a, a crucial element of this value context is that it's, it's a true relationship of equals. They're actually friends and they value each other. Okay, simple example, you see how there has to be that context where we agree that we're going to meet at some point on Saturday, but the details, we can, we can shift those around. Take another example. You want to buy a used car, and you have a budget, you want to spend around $6,000, and you, you find a car at the dealer and it is $9,000, the sticker price. It's a good fit, it's what you want. And so you talk to the dealer and say, "Well, look, I want to, I, I want this car, but I have a very limited budget. What can you do for me?" And you negotiate back and forth, and some people are better at this than others. Uh, you end up with you're able to buy the car, but it's a little bit more than you, what you hope to spend. It's you end you end up paying about seven thousand seven hundred, and the dealer is getting less than what he asked for. The sticker price was ten thousand, but you're both getting what you want out of this deal. It's a mutual benefit, you both recognize you're better off at the the end of it. And notice here, and this happens all the time of course, right? this is a very simple kind of case where there's a transaction involving money and a a, a product or a good, in this case the car. Now, again, stepping back, what's the common ground, what's the shared principle here? There's a number, but let's sort of isolate a really crucial one, which is the principle of trade that you have to give value for value, and both sides have to agree voluntarily to be in part of this transaction. So they have to be part of it voluntarily, and they have to recognize that what they get is a value. And if they don't, they just walk away. There's no obligation to finish the transaction. He can wait for another buyer to come along. You can go to another dealer or just find another car. So crucial here is that there's a shared value context and a shared principle that you're both and again, it's, it's usually, un, un, it's, it's understood or it's, it's not really brought to the fore, but it's important to conceptualize it. Okay, but that's in contrast to situations where that is missing, uh, where there's no value context, no shared principle. Or, put it another way, as Ayn Rand put it in her essay, there can be no compromise on basic principles or fundamental issues. No compromise on basic principles or fundamental issues. So you can compromise within a value context, but you can't compromise on the basic principle itself or the basic issue. So let, let me, let me dramatize that for you. So uh, this is a case for, this is an example from a workplace. And imagine yourself a, a biology teacher and your department head comes to you and says, you, you know, I've been trying to work out your request to get some microscopes for the classroom and and I can approve a few of them, but I need you to make some, to make a compromise with me. I need you to give some ground on something with the curriculum. I I don't think the curriculum is uh, sort of what you're teaching is as good as it could be. So what I need you to do is when you get to the section on evolution, I want you to talk about evolution in a particular way. And I'll give you some notes on what that looks like. And I want you to talk about this idea that I think it has a lot of merit and it's scientific so it belongs in the curriculum. It's called intelligent design, which means, in basically it means that it's a conception of evolution where there's some kind of God-created origin. Now, whatever your views are on evolution, and I, I happen to think it, it's a well-established theory. in this story, you, the science teacher, happen to be really informed, you know, firsthand. It's your it's your objective judgment, your, your rational conclusion that evolution is well-established and that this intelligent design stuff that, the, that your colleague is trying to have you inject into the curriculum is, is nonsense. It's, it's just it's a fairy tale, it's, it's fantasy, it's, it's a religious view. It's not, it doesn't belong in a science curriculum. So you know that this is not true. You don't want this in your curriculum. You don't think it will improve the students' learning to have this injected into their classroom. But at the same time, you, you need these microscopes because that's part of what the classroom uh, experiences. You can't really teach certain material that way. So she said, well, look, she summarizes this for you. We both give a little ground and we both get something. You get the microscopes and I get to see the curriculum improved and the, t- the students get a better outcome. Now, what do you think of that? Is that a, is that a, a compromise that is within a shared principle? Is it, or is it a compromise On the principle, I think if you think on it, it is a compromise on a principle. It's telling you, the science teacher who knows and believes evolution is right and true, is she's saying to you, your colleague, no, you you have to put aside your fundamental (laughs) understanding of this truth, and instead do what I'm asking you to do. And notice that there's kind of a superficial um appearance that you're both gaining something you're getting the microscopes and she's getting some conception of an improved curriculum but the reality is that there's no common value context. she doesn't really respect your judgment or your integrity and she's asking you to violate your intellectual integrity in this case so this is a compromise on a principle and it's it's wrong it has no place in a successful life It, it leads to really bad outcomes So that's a kind of an example where that value context is missing, where it's a compromise on a principle. So just to summarize where we are so far, um, so the the key point I want to draw out from Ayn Rand's essay here that I think is incredibly helpful in guiding our thinking and our action in life is that there's a a big difference, a legitimate compromise or a true or a genuine compromise, valid one, uh, a good outcome, a good compromise is one within a principle, it's within a shared value context, as opposed to what people describe as a compromise, but is not, it, it's, it's a betrayal, it's a selling out, it's a, a compromise on a principle. And that's where we get sort of the negative connotation for this idea. And and, and I think this is a really helpful way to think, think about this issue. So, you know, I've In this webinar, just for pedagogical reasons, I, I'm using examples that I think are really simple to get to the core of the point. But when we live our lives, ex- the, our experiences are not uh, isolated and essentialized for us in this way. And, and so, you know, apart from obvious cases like a mafia guy comes to your shop and says, you know, I'll protect you if you pay me a, a cut of your proceeds or someone in the really extreme cases where it's really clear cut. Like someone takes your kid hostage and asks for ransom. Those are clear cut cases where we can say, look, you're trying to make this seem like a compromise, or you're trying to make this seem like a trade where we're both benefiting, but it's not. Life is mostly not those kinds of extreme cases. It's mostly cases where we're called on to people are suggesting that we compromise with them, but it's not that clear how is this a a good uh, decision to make. And I, I want to just indicate two, and there's many other reasons, but two reasons why it's difficult to tell when we're compromising within a principle and when we're compromising on a principle. So the first reason is that it's rarely presented honestly as a you lose, I win kind of deal. That's rarely the case. And most often it's packaged or it's presented to you as, well, look, there's, you're going to benefit a little bit and I'm going to benefit and we just have to give it a little ground. So it it has the trappings or the superficial appearance that both sides benefit. So it looks like a a kind of equal transaction. Think about the example I gave with the high school teacher. So that's one reason. It's hard to untangle what are the different things going on and and, and to get at the core of the meaning of this kind of experience. And the second reason, I think, is that uh, people don't fully appreciate the role, the crucial role in life. Of principles and especially moral principles to guide them so to the extent they're aware that they need to live by principles or they have some principles they're not really well thought out it's it's unusual for people to have well thought out principles and so if they're asked to surrender a principle they might dimly sense something's going wrong here but they won't get that what, what I'm being asked to do is to give up my understanding of this issue my, my view of what's right in this context and in effect cave in on this so there's both the unawareness of how important principles are and then sort of as a consequence of that there's no real appreciation for the fact that there are really negative consequences to surrendering on a principle to to, uh, what I'm describing as a an invalid compromise or a compromise on a principle so I want to give you sort of a very quick example and you can ask me more about this particular concrete in the Q&A and I hope you will it's, um, I wanted to pick something that's actually happened that you can look up in the news, research it if you're interested in the, in the details. I'm going to give you a very abridged version of it. And it's, it's from an area that I study, which is foreign policy. So I want to tell you in, in about 90 seconds, I want to tell you sort of the story of America's attempt with its allies to form a, quote, compromise solution with the North Korean regime to end North Korea's nuclear program. So you probably heard about this in the last couple of years. Donald Trump, the president, has been trying to restart this kind of deal. But it actually started many years ago, more than 20 years ago. Uh, And the first deal that was brokered was under uh, President Bill Clinton, who is pictured here announcing the first round of these agreements. So again, this is a very abridged account of a very of of a detailed, involved story where what I want to draw out here is it was presented at every stage as a mutually beneficial trade of equals where there's a shared value context and the compromises were presented as if well it's just a little small thing that we're giving up we're not violating our own principles but the reality of it was in fact completely the opposite if you look at the character of North Korea it's a, a dictatorship. It's hostile to its own people. It starves them to death. It 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 turns them, it has turned a whole nation to slaves. You can't leave North Korea. It is a really horrible regime, and its nuclear program is not for any purpose but aggression. It is a really and um, it's it sold its nuclear technology to other bad countries. So there's a real self-deception here among the people who are pushing for this deal. Um, including the fact that North Korea has a whole history of deceptions and violating past agreements and, and lying. So, essentially, this was a case of extortion, but presented as, no, this is a, a civilized country meeting another civilized country, just hashing out the details, as if you were buying a car, There's an underst- as if there were some understood value context, when there isn't. And the outcome of this, I just want to g- kind of give you the progression of how this played out, as you would expect, when the, the, there's a compromise on a principle, the outcome was really bad. So, just in outline, North Korea started out in the, so the early 90s. It was clear that they were a menace. They were building these long-range missiles. They were threatening. There was good evidence to think they were developing a nuclear program. And everyone was everyone who was sensible would say this is not a good idea. They shouldn't be doing this. We shouldn't. We should try to find ways to stop them. So it started off with North Korea being a, mi- a minor threat or a small threat or a minor menace. And so the, there was a deal in, in 1994 under Clinton called the Agreed Framework. This led to a sort of, quote, compromise deal. North Korea got some aid in exchange for dismantling some of its nuclear facilities. But that led to North Korea becoming a slightly bigger menace because it it, it claimed to stop its nuclear program, but it didn't. It, it continued developing and by 2006 it had not only developed a nuclear program, it had tested a nuclear device thanks to its continual lies and deception. Okay, zoom forward. Another deal is reached with, under a different admi- presidential administration and again, this is a—it's a, it's a, presented as a, a compromise among equals, sharing value context, and it's a win-win outcome. And again, the same thing happens. North Korea then has a series of nuclear uh, tests that it does, each of which is much, much bigger. And so by the time you get to 2017, North Korea's uh, nuclear tests are a factor of a hundred more powerful. So it's, it's managed to develop many uh, a device, that it, essentially a doomsday device. And, and the, the essence of this story that I want you to to take away from this is what these supposed compromise deals actually did by giving North Korea aid and food, and in, in some cases helping it build a, a, a civilian nuclear power plant, is it helped encourage North Korea's aggression and irrationality. And it pushed us down the road to the point where it's really hard to turn back now and, and try to fix this problem because we've fed and nurtured it all this time. And that is one of the consequences of a compromise on a principle. And again, I'm just to, to sum, sum this up, this is a very abridged account of the story, but the, the key thing I want you to get is that it, we made the problem worse by compromising on a principle in this context. So that's one of the key points I want you to, to get, that in, in thinking about this, we have to be sort uh, of use uh, really unpack a situation and think, uh, what is the, what is being compromised? Is it a compromise within a shared principle or on a principle? That's a really helpful uh, way to think of it. So just to wrap up, I want to summarize the the, the key points I, I left with three takeaways. One, a compromise is possible only when there's a mutually shared principle, a common value context. Number two, a compromise within a principle, can enable win-win relationships and interactions. That's the kind of thing that we all want to have and and, uh, use to navigate our relationships in our life. But three, the third point is that a compromise on a principle is really destructive. And it can happen over, it doesn't always happen instantly. It can happen over a long period of time, but it, it, it puts you on a trajectory to really bad outcomes because it means selling out your principles and your own fundamental beliefs violating your convictions and values. So my suggestion, if you have time after this webinar, go to our website and read Ayn Rand's own account of this. And I've just touched some points, not the whole uh, of her argument. Doesn't life require compromise? An excellent essay is really helpful in thinking through this kind of issue. And then she has other essays on compromise and the role of principles in life, which uh, you can find in her books. And of course, if you haven't yet read Ayn Rand's novels, I think there's a lot to learn, particularly from The Found Head and Athol Shrugged on the role, uh, uh, what it looks like to have these uh, bad or unprincipled compromises in your life, um, and and the importance of integrity to one's rational beliefs. Uh, I think that's really vividly dramatized in the stories. So I want to give you a heads up that next week uh, here will be my colleague Ben Bayer he will be asking another big question, which is, is altruism a virtue? I hope you can join us for that. Uh, you can sign up for this series at uh, our website, and the URL is on the screen. The, the short version is bit.ly ARI hyphen webinars, and you can also find it on aynrand.org. And of course, we'd love to get your questions. Um, I was inspired to answer this question, doesn't uh, success in life require compromise, in part because I, I, I was moderating Keith's webinar a few weeks back, and this, this question came up in the context of his discussion. And, and we, we always look at your feedback. We'd love to get your suggestions uh, going forward. So write to us at webinars at ironran.org if you have one. And right before we get to the q and I wanna just ask you guys um, how much you've read about Ayn Rand, it's really helpful for us in assessing our uh, program. And if you could just respond to this poll that I'm putting on the screen right now, I'd love to get a sense of where you are and your understanding, how much you've read about her views and so on. So I'll leave that on for the next few minutes. Uh, And now we will have Keith Lockett join us. Hey, Keith. Hey there, Elon. Hey, how are you?
0: Good, thanks. That was a good presentation. I found it really interesting. Uh, We've already got a few requests for um just clarifications or points of clarification in the talk so puja is asking can you go back to your slide with the compromise within a principle versus a compromise on principle quote she'd like to see that i think she wanted to take that one down and then um uh, we have nick asking to for on the on the example i guess with north korea you're saying um the first compromise was America giving aid. And he was asking, what was the second one? Well, what did, what did America concede on the second compromise? If you could just uh, repeat that for clarification.
1: Okay, so if I, is uh, the specific quote, is it the, this one that I, I, can you see it on the screen right now? Uh, regard to um, maybe Puja, you could let us know
0: if that's the slide yeah. you were looking for, or, or is it the pink one? Um, OK, but in any event.
1: Uh, oh, yeah. So on, on the North Korea example, uh, as I said, I, I was giving a very abridged account of a, of a detailed involved story. Um, if I remember correctly, uh, I think the first round in 94 uh, was an agreement where North Korea would get some, I think, oil and um, I think maybe money uh, to, for in exchange for dismantling some of its equipment and submitting to international inspections of its facilities, including, you know, we want to know what you're doing here. and We can we'll put cameras in place. Uh, what happened after that is North Korea ejected the inspectors and there was a crisis. It, it launched some missiles. The next round involved, I think it, it was the next round where part of what North Korea wanted was help in building uh, civilian power, nuclear power facilities, which it actually got the U.S. and, and its allies, including Japan, to help fund and develop this, uh, these nuclear facilities. And I think at, at various points, the, the, the uh, material benefits that North Korea demanded varied, but they're basically of the same kind. It was either grain, it was oil at various times, sometimes it was just international uh, aid. But then one of the themes throughout these negotiations was North Korea constantly presented itself as the one that was fearing aggression from other countries. And it demanded things like diplomatic recognition and and a promise from other countries not to invade it, which, I mean, there's all sorts of things to say about that. But the important thing is that it wanted both um, respectability, diplomatic respectability and, and legitimacy, and also um, material means by which to support itself, to prop it up, to feed its army. Because uh, a lot of the aid that has gone to North Korea has gone to feed a massive army. It has one of the largest standing armies in the world. Um, but what I would suggest, I, I won't go on on this because there's more to say, but I, I would suggest that the um, if, if there are a lot of resources on sort of the, the, the history of the North Korea relationship and the, the attempts to find a... a a deal and we, you can find itemized for each step. And, and I'm, I hope I've got the, the right stages here for what they were asking for each point, but this is, it's easily found uh, on the web. I would recommend find, looking for that.
0: Okay. And just super quickly, it was the pink slide with your quote that Puja was looking for, but let's turn to, uh, uh, the one with the, with the, um, the two ver- the the compromise on principle versus compromise. Yeah. All right, so yeah, that's the one. Um, okay, so we have a bunch of questions coming through on the Q and A module. Um, first one is from Brad, who's asking. He asks, "Isn't is compromise necessary in the early stages of forming a friendship, in the sense that you have to extend yourself in order to get to know someone new?" And I, as I understand the question, it's sort of like when you're if you're if you're just getting to know somebody. You know maybe they're pushing you out of your comfort zone they want to go hiking and you don't you're not a person who goes hiking is that is that a compromise or or would you describe it as something different
1: yeah so i, I think it's helpful if we, if we having established a context earlier in the in the presentation let, let's say that a compromise is when you're when you have a shared value context and you're just adjusting on the details on the, on the particulars within that context so it's a legitimate thing to do it's it's valid It's you're not selling out in any meaningful way, and I think if in that context, if what you're being if what if your goal is I want to spend time with this person and get to know them, and what they're asking what they're suggesting that you do is not something you've done before, it's not something you're sure you like, or maybe you don't like it all that much. I don't think it's it's uh, or maybe it's inconvenient because you're not that fit and you don't want to go hiking and uh. I think all of those things are really details, which you might. I think it'd be fine to say, "Look, I'm not sure I'm going to love this, but I want to get to know this person. This is my goal, and um, they're interested in getting to know me. Maybe this will. Maybe I'll I like it. Maybe I won't, but I'll get to know this person. I think it's fine to do that. It's it's within a, a context. Now, where this can part of what I would suggest in thinking about this is notice, look for patterns in this sort of thing. So if you become friends with someone and it's always on their terms, like they want to go to a nightclub, you hate nightclubs and they want to go and they like, just, they drive crazy and you don't like being in a car with people who drive like that. Or whenever you meet, it's only on their schedule and they disregard your needs and your, there's something unequal about that. And it's something, and and sometimes that's a sign that this is not a relationship of, mutual interest so and that can become a situation where you're compromising on a principle and, and the, the issue would be you you're an individual you have you're entitled to your judgment and your values and your interests, and you shouldn't have to be in a position where you're constantly surrendering those because i think that's where it becomes an uh, one of those uh, an unprincipled compromise because it's well i'm always doing what this person wants to do and you grow to resent it and that's not a healthy situation to be in um, and, and just one other thought on this is um, I was reading on this because I, I wanted to get a, a range of examples that people talk about when they're have when they trying to puzzle out what, when should I compromise and when should I? Because I think it's, as I said, I think it's a really uh, pervasive question and it's not obvious in any given case. And I was reading about uh, a, a woman who was describing um, a boyfriend that she moved in with and yeah he pushed her out of her comfort zone and then it became well i don't like it when you wear um really sexy outfits when you got because it, it makes me think that you are uh looking for other men and she wasn't she just liked to wear certain kinds of outfits or i don't like it when you go to yoga on saturday morning because i like to be i like for us to have saturday morning and so she's okay well i won't go to yoga a- and there's a whole series of these things and by the end of it she thought well why is this person controlling my life everything important to me like he's cut her off from her friends from her activities and the values that matter to her were being eroded so there's ways in which relationships can start off with yeah, we're just trading you know this is a valid situation but then it it, notice if it's going in a certain direction and what you're being asked to give up is things and people that are really valuable to your beliefs because often it can be kind of a gateway to other behaviors that you don't want to be in
0: yeah and if i can engage in some shameless self-promotion uh i think aspects of this question also come up in the in the webinar that i gave a few weeks ago i think which was the one that you said we got questions that inspired this topic so the so the webinar on doesn't love require sacrifice <clears throat> um and that and i go into some of these issues about relationships and when is it legitimate trading and negotiating versus are you actually being put in a position where you have to sacrifice and it's not healthy for you or for the relationship so um, we got a lot of questions coming through about principles so you're talking about the difference between compromising within a principle and accepting a shared principle versus compromising on your principles and so that's prompting people to ask can you give a definition of a principle can you differentiate between what's the difference between having principles versus having standards what's the difference between a concrete and a principle so can you do you want (laughs) to go into a little more uh abstract discussion of what exactly is a principle and how do we differentiate that from concretes
1: yeah there's a lot to say on this topic and, and i would i would suggest so i'll say a few things on it but what i would encourage people is to 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 the extent you, you're going to spend more time learning and, and thinking about Ayn Rand's ideas, this is a really key aspect of her philosophic outlook. Uh, I mean, it's all over her writings, her nonfiction writings. It's, it's all through the fiction that principles, th- to be principled in life is crucial. It's, it's actually a virtue to be conceptual and principled in life. Um, and she has a really profound analysis of that. So I just want to stress that this is a big topic. It's very important. And I'm just going to say a few quick things on it. So um, off the top of my head, the definition, this isn't going to be word perfect, but I think this is accurate. Uh, a principle is a, is a, a fundamental truth, uh, a generalization that covers a lot of ground. And, and it's a truth that other truths depend on. Um, and it has wide implications for your life. Now, there are are principles in different areas of life. There are moral principles, which help us understand, sort of gives a guidance on how to act and make decisions. There are principles in math. There are principles in computing. There are principles of writing. Principles exist in all areas of life. And it's important to get that that's true. Um, Now, if you think of a principle as a kind of wide generalization that captures a truth about life or about a particular area of life, it's gonna give you, it's gonna be something like, I mean, let me, let's take an example from from uh, ethics. So um, the virtue, the virtues in, in the objectivist thought are themselves principles. They're, they're particular kinds of principles that guide your action. And what they tell you is, for example, um, to be independent, so this is the virtue that uh, Howard Rourke and the Foundhead embodies and it's to have a primary orientation to reality not to other people that's a that's a really broad abstraction it's like well in every area of your life and everything you do that you should focus on the facts first and it's not you don't it's not that you don't care what other people think it's that's not the primary you have to judge what they think by reference to the facts. now that's a so that's a principle now a concrete or as in contrast to that is um, we were setting up earlier today, let me give you a, a very, uh, similar, simple concrete in setting up the, the AV and the, the screens. We have a very complicated setup here. Um, I was asking Keith, well, am I sitting in the right place? And cause I can't see myself. Um, and so what I ended up doing is I turned the camera on so I could see, well, yeah, I, I trust Keith, but I also want to see with my own eyes what, what's actually happening or, um, uh, you know, the camera, the positioning of the camera. So it's the concrete as well. Yeah, but I need to know firsthand what's happening here. That, that's a, a very minor kind of thing. Now let's take just to build out one further aspect here, which, and maybe we can subdivide some of the questions you've got and uh, narrow it down. So if you think of the example I gave of the school teacher uh, where he's being asked, or she's being asked, to go against her judgment of what's is scientifically true and inject something she knows to be wrong. Now there's, there's both a a negation. So let's unpack what's going on there. So just a couple of things that are going on there. Um, The principle there is that you should be true to your rational beliefs. That's what integrity is. That's a wide principle. And in the context of a workplace, it's, well, you should you should go by what you judge to be right and true and stick to it. And that means having integrity. And, and most people would agree integrity is a good thing. And Ayn Rand has a distinctive conception of how important that is. But if you, if you peel back one more layer, the integrity here is this person who is a science teacher has spent years training in science. They've read the firsthand evidence. They've looked at the evidence about evolution. They know it to be... A, a well-established uh, scientific truth. They've looked at the, the geologicals. They've read Darwin. They've read people after Darwin. So there's a whole body of knowledge that they have, and what they're being asked to do is to go against what they know is true. So they're they're being asked to to throw out that whole value context. Look, like, this is what I know is right, and they're being told, chuck it out the window. Um, so from one perspective, it's, it's, yeah, they're being told, forget your integrity. That doesn't matter. So that, they're throwing away that principle. And in the, in, the, in the specific, what are they being told? They say, shut your eyes to this truth and instead accept the truth or accept this claim from the creation, what do they call them, intelligent design creationists. Um, so I hope that helps sort of parse out a little what is a principle it's a broad truth that guides action or guides our thinking and then the particulars in a given case how does that relate to that principle and there's many principles involved here but and uh, i'm glad people are asking about this because i think this is a key to thinking about how we navigate these relationships with other people
0: and just to add to that i'll second your recommendation that people look at Ayn Rand's article, Doesn't Life Require Compromise? Because it's a a really, really short article, but she packs it with all kinds of examples where she's saying, you know, this is not a compromise, this is a compromise. You know, and one one example that I thought was particularly interesting was, she says, you know, if you're a writer and you've written a work of fiction and you get suggestions from your editor, uh, you know, to make changes to the novel, and you but you agree with them and you and you uh you're the one who's going to make the changes that's not a compromise but if they're asking you to write trash so that you can acquire a huge following so that once you're rich and famous you can you know then write the novel that you want to write after you've acquired a following of people who like your trash you know that would be a compromise and that's that latter thing is the kind of compromise or the, the kind of you know you talked about the novel the fountainhead and it's very interesting to watch howard rourke's story the the protagonist in that novel because um, one of the themes of the novel is the issue of integrity and you know is he uh, does he achieve his success in spite of not being willing to compromise or is it because he's unwilling to compromise and that's an interesting uh, take
1: on that Yeah. One thing I would just build on that, Keith, one thing I would say is I formulated the question for the webinar slightly differently from her essay. uh, And it's because in the essay, I think she's responding to people who are coming to her thought and and her philosophy with the assumption that um, being uncompromising is going to be a problem. And that's a a common view uh, today as much as people think compromise can be bad. They also think comp- being uncompromising is a problem. And Howard Rourke is definitely uncompromising on his principles. Uh, and so she's answering that. So, uh, and I think it's important. I wanted to sort of to open the context a little more widely about the role of compromise in life. Um, but yeah, I, I, I agree. I think the story of Howard Rourke is fascinating from this perspective. And for those of you who have read it, some of you judging from the polls, I think have uh, some awareness of the story. Um, think about um, to try to integrate this with your own experience and think um, well what would it look like to be uncompromising? well I think a a precondition is to have some principles that you think you should live by and Howard Rourke really is one person who has really thought about what he believes in architecture and how he wants to conduct his life and if I can sort of reverse that point and put it in the positive for i think for ayn rand's conception of how to when should you not when should you compromise and when shouldn't you uh, sort of a premise of her view is it's really important to know what you believe it's really important to have consciously held principles and convictions to guide your actions and when you have them you're much more attuned to when a situation is a compromise you can engage in when you shouldn't engage in it because you know what's at stake and you know what the consequences are
0: so that's a good segue into another question from emmett which is what is the function of principles in human life why are they important you know why do why do we even need principles (laughs)
1: <laughs> okay uh,
0: that's a big
1: question But that's a big question let's put that on the list for a future webinar yes. I think it will be fat, a, a wonderful uh, as I'm not dodging the question I will say uh, one or two things on it but I, I think it's a it's a really profound question uh, I, I, I think the way into this issue is to see sort of Ayn Rand's conception of what it, what it means to have a human life, what it means to live as a human being, as she says, to live a life appropriate for man qua man. sort of in the fundamental sense of what it means to be a human being. And in her view, um, we are conceptual beings. We, we live and act and guide ourselves with our conscious mind. And we have to have um, an abstract perspective on our life. We need a, a kind of a framework to, to, of, of ideas that will tell us how to judge good from evil, how to judge the right course of action in a given context. And this is what a principled perspective is. It's having a framework of, uh, so just to to put principle in, in a sort of um, maybe more um, familiar terms, a principle in this context is a generalization, a general truth about what you should and shouldn't do. And it's super helpful for guiding life. And, the contrast to that is happenstance or arbitrary decisions, or sometimes you're, you think you know what you're doing, sometimes you don't. Um, it's, not a, it's not a path to success to be um, making decisions in the absence of a principal uh, perspective. So that's sort of a, the, the, the kernel of what I think is unique to her view. And that, I mean, you, you can put it a different way, is um, Ayn Rand has an essay, um, uh, philosophy who needs it and it, it, that's the same kind of issue which is y- in order to live your life you need to have explicit uh, conceptual understanding of what's important what's true what's false how to know those things and what's good and what's not and how to understand the application of that in various areas of your life so you, you need a philosophic or a principal perspective in her view so not so she's not just in favor of principles, she is, but she's in favor of sort of the wider, sort of the widest principles you can have, which is philosophic principles in guiding life. So what what I'm going to say is, um, for the person who asked that question, and others interested in it, read, and I think you can find this on our website. Uh, read the essay "Philosophy Who Needs It," because it makes what I think is is a really powerful case for the importance of having a conceptual, a, a sort of a, a principle perspective on life. Uh, and it's a key to understanding why she she places such, such emphasis on principles. And one and the other thing I would say is for those interested in seeing how this plays out, um, she has another essay called "The Anatomy of Compromise." I haven't. I just I was rereading it last night. It, it's it is a brilliant illustration of what it looks like when you go against your principles, or when you don't really you're not really clear about them. Or and so this goes to the the questioners. Uh, interest in what, what does it look like and how does this play out? So a lot of recommendations for you to, to, to look into that. And I think we should have a, a webinar on that issue. It's a really fascinating one.
0: Yeah, I, I wanted to just add to that a little bit in terms of what role do principles play in our lives. Um, and I agree that there would be a good webinar topic, but just, just to, if, if you don't mind if I take a minute or two to add a little color to that. So if you think about scientific principles, you know, think about, you know, you want to you land a spaceship on the moon so you've got a broad principle newton's laws of of motion and gravitation and you can and they're they're very broad principles and if you apply them you can calculate the exact trajectory you need to send the spaceship up and it, and it's a causal principle that allows you to predict if you send the spaceship off with this speed at this angle and this sort of thing then over time it will get to the moon well there's a similar thing with moral principles they're you know they they're they're there are causal principles that allow you to project the consequences of your actions so that so for example Ayn Rand's view on honesty you know she doesn't have the Ten Commandments view thou shalt not lie right just as some sort of out of context absolute what her principle of honesty does is it says if you are dishonest and here's what the here's what will happen here's what the long-range consequences of that will be of that, uh, attempt to deny the nature of reality and to pretend that the unreal is unreal. If you do that, you're cutting yourself off from reality. And over time, it'll have these kinds of consequences. And it's very, it's a very similar kind of thing. It allows you to predict what will happen. Um, and you can see the negative consequences of it, uh, by doing that. So, um, that, that, that's so... That's the the question. Was what is the role the principles play in human life? They're they're they they're, they're, they're um, ideas that allow you to predict the consequences of your actions, so you can, um, you know, you can make choices that lead to better long range outcomes in your life. So,
1: yeah, and and I hope this won't be con- at the risk of confusing people. So one of the points I was making in the example of North Korea is that when you make an, so this is actually a principle, when you make an unprincipled compromise, as this example argues, you end up with very bad outcomes. You end up encouraging evil and sort of dictatorial regimes that are hostile, and you make them more hostile. You you feed the evil, you feed their rationality, and and that's a, a broad generalization about the sort of the consequences of when you cave in and when you give ground when you shouldn't.
0: Okay, so we've got a couple more questions here and a little bit of time to try to get these in. Is there a distinction between compromise and consensus? This is from Nandan. Um, uh, let's see, the The, the question is the, the definition that you gave, maybe I think he's saying it sounds a little bit more like uh, like consensus than compromise. It, it, how would you differentiate those two?
1: Yeah, I, I think of consensus uh, me being more, um, an agreement on some issue uh, and it can involve compromise
0: but I, mean, I think it's what it's what you reach by means of legitimate adjustments and mutual it, concessions
1: and so it, on. it can be but I, I would but I would say I think consensus too can be one of those terms where it includes both good consensus and bad consensus because I think there is such a thing as elevating consensus above truth so I, I I I would say that be, be careful in using that term as well. And think about, well, how did this consensus come about? Was it a rational process? And were people giving ground they should or shouldn't have? So I, I think they're related. I, I, off the top of my head, I can't give you a very sophisticated uh, distinction between the two. I would need to think about that some more.
0: I mean, uh, just to add to that, I think I think today when we talk about consensus, it has a lot of the same problems that come up when we talk about compromise because you know people talk about scientific consensus on certain issues that that basically requires people to uh you know compromise on their scientific principles in order to join the consensus and so on but we don't want to raise a whole can of worms there um last couple couple final questions here that are related so there's a question about about how this applies to oneself so can you compromise with yourself on principle um as opposed to two people having to adjust to each other is there a way that you can compromise yourself and then a and then a a similar question from somebody else you know if you um if you yourself have lived on sort of mixed premises is that have you compromised with yourself
1: um, okay well let me take the first question um, I wouldn't think of it, I, I don't think of it exactly as a compromise because I think that generally is in relation to other people and their demands but this you can engage in the same kind of error which is to violate your own beliefs and principles in, in the conduct of your own life without someone pushing you to do it you can I mean uh, you know one situation would be you're asked what you think on some issue and you have a definite view, but you decide, well, I'm afraid of raising my voice and you you don't do it, and you betray what you know to be right. So yes, there are cases where you can be unprincipled in action, um, and it's not because you're compromising with someone else, but in that that sense, by an extended sense, you could say, you've compromised yourself. So I don't think it requires another person to be unprincipled, and there's many cases where people do that. they they cave in on what they know to be right or they don't have the, they don't have integrity to their beliefs and their values and that you don't need another person to push you into though that often is how it happens and this just remind me of the second question um it had
0: to do with uh um, oh mixed premises and mixed premises yeah is it, is it can you can you sort of compromise your own life in a way
1: yeah so th- this is a question that i think is coming from uh s- someone with a fairly well-informed view of Ayn Rand's sort of theory and her philosophy and, and, and conception that um, the premises people have are important in defining both how they act and the, their emotional life, their, their thinking and so forth. And I think um, in Ayn Rand's conception, having mixed premises is, is both a common phenomenon for people uh, but it's also something that one can take steps to change and, and, and sort of integrate your views and your premises around rational ideas. So my, my, the one thing I would say on that is um, it, it's important to think about which premises you have that you think so mix, which ones are the ones you don't think belong and, and think about how to remove them because, yes, have, acting on mixed premises leads to inconsistent results. And I think, I think it's not ideal as a path to a successful life. So I would leave it there because I think it's a a, a question that assumes a great deal of knowledge and we don't really have the time to flesh it out, but it would be a good webinar topic too, is how to think about your own premises and check them to echo Ayn Rand's uh, phrase. I think we've got just about a minute here, but... uh... So, you know, while you're looking at the questions, let me remind people, sure. uh, next week's webinar, uh, we really hope you can make it, Ben Baer, uh, our colleague, will be here and he will ask the question, is altruism a virtue? And I think that, I, I hope people will, um, I hope people find that provocative. I think it is a, a, a challenging question. And Ben, so you thought a lot about this issue and I, I think you'll find the webinar uh, well worth your time. So I hope you can make it. And again, if you have questions for us, to, uh, either that you think we should answer in the webinar or you have feedback about the webinars, drop us an email webinars at aynrand.org. We read everything you send, including all the questions that are posted in a given webinar. Even if we don't answer them, we read everything. We really are interested in your perspective. Do you have time for one more question, Keith?
0: Um, there, was a, there was a point of clarification that a person was uh, or maybe it's not clarification, but it's so on the on the teacher example, the, mm. we have an anonymous attendee asking, so if a teacher's in that situation, what sort of choices do they have?" I mean know <laughs> that's not, maybe yeah, it's a little I, out of yeah. scope, but it's like what does somebody do in a situation How yeah. do you, I mean I mean this is a question you know if, if you're put in a situation where you're being asked to compromise, what options do you have?
1: yeah i and i was thinking about that when i when i made this example I, i'm not actually sure it's legal for the for the head of school to ask that anymore it used to be legal in some states um yeah so i, I think that's a case where i it, speaking for if i were in the in the position of the science teacher i would push back and i would look for support outside the school if i had to because to, to the extent you have to work in that kind of context you you, you have to be in any context but especially in a context of a sort of a a state, if it's a, it's a, a um, state-run school, as most of them are, I think you have to be diligent about your integrity to the extent you can have. You can work in that place. It can't be at the cost of your own integrity. Um, and this is an issue where I don't think it, it might come to the point where you say, "Well, I can't be in the public schools if this is what they're teaching." But I think it's one of those things where you have to stake your ground. Um, and I, I mean, in, in in my work, I find that. Um, if people have clarity on what they understand to be true and they understand the value of principle, it's, it gives them the courage to, to resist. And resist doesn't always mean have a big blow up. It can, sometimes you can nip these things in the bud by just being assertive and confident in your own views and, and establish that you're not, the, you're not the sort of person who can be pushed into this sort of thing. So there's lots of ways to handle it. I'm not saying it's a trivial thing to handle, particularly if it's a superior, but uh, it's important to get that there's a range of things and, and often it's easier than, than it might seem. Or well, sometimes it's easier than it might seem to resist it.
0: Okay, well, we are right at the uh, hour here. So that sounds like a good note to end on. Do you want to say, say
1: any final remarks? Well, just thanks to everyone who, who came today and for all of you listening on the podcast or on YouTube, we'd love to have you join us live. And uh, again, love to get your feedback on questions you want to see answered and uh, or questions that you, you have after watching one of these uh, episodes. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Thanks for joining. Uh, we'll, uh, ben will be here next week. Goodbye. Bye, everyone. Thanks.
0: Thanks for listening to the Ayn Rand Institute Live podcast. Subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. You can also find us on YouTube. If you like this content, please share or leave us a review. For more information, go to aynrand.org.